Loved, cherished, comforted. Welcome to the podcast ministry of Our Resolute Hope, where you will find grace, not just a concept or a doctrine of grace, but a person, a person whose name is Jesus, a person who brings hope, a determined, resolute hope that can sustain you and empower you to live courageously in this fallen world. Join us now as we learn more about Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, and our life. Dear ones, thanks for joining us again on the Our Resolute Hope podcast. John Russin here, serve as the host here with my dear friend, Pastor Frank Friedman. Someone accused me of talking with Frank is like uh, trying to hurt a cat. It's not quite that bad, but how are you doing, my friend? <laughs> Meow. <laughs> Cats are hard to herd, and I think my brain and my life are sometimes hard to herd together. It's all <laughs> over the map, but oh. it's fun. You got to admit it's fun, John. <laughs> That's right. And if you've joined us for the first time, you've caught Frank and me in the middle of a series that when we're discussing the need, the command to forgive others others. Forgive those who wound us. And last time, we focused in on Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27. We talked about the command to be angry, but do not sin. And I encourage you to go back and listen to that one, because it forms a a very good foundation for what we're going to talk about today. Because Frank, we're beginning with the second part of Ephesians 4.26, and it's the warning part, the part that brings balance to this entire dynamic. It says, be angry, but don't sin. Mm. And then it gives us a very good handle for how to manage this. Don't let the sun go down on our anger, because if we do, we're going to give place to the devil. So Frank, Mm. in other words, if I can digest that, it's forgive others and do it quickly. So why the focus on doing it quickly, like before the sun goes down? Well, John, as we stated last time, we can't change what happened to us, but we can change what we do with what happened to us. And God has given us an incredible gift for us called forgiveness, where we, and the Greek word there is is marvelously insightful. It's a theomy, and it means to release the debt. So when we forgive and we release that other person from owing us a debt, the debt is no longer there. If that debt remains there, then we're going to be continuously looking at the debt. And then every day, every day, day after day, month after month, year after year, we're going to be living in such a way as the fact that we're not only reminded of the debt, but seeking to extract that debt. And that means we're going to be focusing on another person instead of on God. And that person's going to occupy a central place in our life. And because they were harsh or critical or mean and or unkind, it's a very negative person in our lives. And it's going to have a profoundly negative impact on us. And we're going to turn into a very bitter, 
a very unloving, very self-protective person because we won't want to get hurt again. Uh, and so we have this phrase in the counseling arena, and it's a very important one. I'm really glad you brought this up today. You were a victim. None of us were designed to have happened what's happening to us. We were designed for the Garden of Eden. So we all became victims of sin and its consequences. But if we don't deal with those through this gift of forgiveness, we will become victimizers of not only others, but ourselves, because we'll cease to be functioning in accordance with who God created us to be, which is vessels of his life and his love and his forgiveness. And we'll be replacing those things with selfish protection, control, and ourselves, downright meanness. And it happens, John. We see it all the time. That's right. And you know what else, John? We've experienced it oh, firsthand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, both sides of the equation, my friend. Yeah. So the warning is there for a really important reason, because I like the part where it says, be angry. Okay, I can I can handle that pretty well. You have a doctorate in that. Yeah, I have a PhD in anger. But God puts a hard stop in there, Frank. Mm-hmm. But don't let the sun go down. You know, because often we start with anger, but we don't stop there. Mm-hmm. We quickly move on to fury, rage. We explode. We plot revenge. Mm -hmm. And when we go past the threshold of anger into the next step, which is exactly where our enemy wants us to go, we give the powers of darkness a finger hold in our lives. Mm -hmm. And finger holds can become hand holds. Hand holds can become footholds. And of course, footholds can eventually become strongholds. And so this is one of the most protective warnings the Holy Spirit could have given us. Because Mm -hmm. if we sin, if we linger with that anger, if we nurture it over time, it can become like a sudden volcano erupting and destroying everyone and everything around. So this caution is so timely and so important, isn't it? Yes, John, if you just let it speak, what happened ruined your today. But if you don't deal with what happened today, it'll ruin your tomorrow. And then the next day, and then the next day. There's a very interesting word choice by the Holy Spirit in Ephesians 5.18. He says, let yourself be filled with the Spirit. The word filled is the Greek word plerazo, and it means control. So be being controlled by the Holy Spirit is the way I would translate that. But it's in the context of don't be drunk with wine. But we could take that principle and apply it to this area. Don't be controlled by your anger, but be being filled with the Spirit. Because if you don't do that in this day and deal with it this day, Romans 6 is going to kick in, 
Whatever you yield yourself to will become your master. And that will mean you're giving bitterness and rage and vengeance the control of your life. And we know that those things are ultimately under the influence of our enemy. And so the charge in Lamentations was so very clear. In Lamentations chapter 3, Jeremiah is rehearsing his wounds, John. And he starts rehearsing them. I am the man who has seen affliction. I've seen all this hurt and wound. And then what happens is he gets paranoid. I know God is against me. Everyone is against me. And then pretty soon he's in the pit of despair. All I know is pain and sorrow. And then there's these two key words, remembering my affliction remembering them all day long. It's where his mind is. And no wonder he's so miserable. But then this glorious reality came to his senses and he says, but this I recall to my mind, the mercies of God are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. And so I think these two passages, the passage in Romans, the passage in Ephesians 5, all correspond in that charge. Deal with it today. Let the spirit be in control of your life. Don't give a place to the enemy. You're going to be in trouble if you do. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Fulfill the gift God gave you and set not only your offender free, but set yourself free from what was done to you. That's right. Well said. You know, last time, Frank, We talked about how many people, perhaps the majority of people, deal with offenses is uh, they ignore them. They sweep them under the rug. And we made this strange word picture of how uh, you'd have a living room carpet with all these lumps under the carpet. And you spend your time (laughs) dancing around those lumps because each Mm. one of those lumps is an offense that you swept under the rug. And Mm. so what we do is we bottle these things up. We don't ever deal with them. But, you know, every time you come across that one offense, you step on that lump in the carpet, you go, I remember that. Mm -hmm. I remember what she did or what they did to me. I remember how I feel. And so this whole scenario rises up in your mind, plays out again, and you're doing exactly what Hebrews 12, 15 explicitly tells us not to do. Let me read that first. Please do. Yeah. It says, see to it. And I love that Greek translation (laughs) because, yep, it's our responsibility. See to it that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble because by it, many become defiled. Well, when I see any sort of a plant picture in scripture as a plant science guy my attention perks right up and when i look at this verse i think about roots okay roots are underground hidden they're silent but the problem is that if they're alive they are going to shoot up they are going to cause Mm. problems and you can control where they pop up so Mm. following this gardening metaphor what's the solution well you got to dig up all the roots Go Mm. deep if you have to. It takes courage and hard work. And sometimes roots run underground a long way. 
So you got to follow them and dig those up too. I remember the last house we owned in Baton Rouge. It was a somewhat older house. And there was a cluster of large old crepe myrtle trees that when we bought the house were just riddled with green briar. I cleaned out the mess. And uh, as a first step, I just clipped off all the green briar, tore it out of the trees. They looked great for about two weeks. <laughs> and mm. then the roots started coming up. And so for the next several years, every time they came up, I dug and I pulled and I stretched and I scratched and I followed roots under the neighbor's fence because roots can cause problems. And so when mm. I see this verse, I see exactly what's happening by people who sweep offenses under the rug. They don't go away. They will pop up at some time and it'll be an inopportune time. It'll be a painful circumstance and it will cause far more trouble. And as the verse says, many will become defiled. And so hmm. you take the one offense done against you and when it explodes later on, you defile dozens, maybe hundreds of people instead mm. of just dealing with it yourself. So this is really a warning against how quickly this bitterness can spread, magnify, and poison people around us. John, as I was listening to you, I was thinking of a word in my mind popping in, and it was the word triggered. And you've got these things that are under the surface. You've got that lumpy carpet, as you say. And the thing our listeners have to listen to and hear is people say, well, time heals. No, time heals nothing. Forgiveness heals. All time does is cover up what's there, <laughs> but it's there. And I couldn't help but think of an illustration. It's like if there's a mama and she's had these great wounds in her past, never dealt with them, swept them under the rug. They're there. And all it takes is to step on that lump in the carpet, and it's going to function as a trigger. And so here's this mama, and she's got her little baby, and the baby spills the milk. Well, spilled milk, John, is a number one on a scale of 10. It's nothing. But if this woman has got those lumps and bam, uh, the child spills the milk and she gets triggered somehow, it's going to explode out of her at a level eight. What's the matter with you? Why aren't you more careful? And the poor little kid is looking at this going, wow, spilled wow. milk is really important to mom. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. That's not what they're thinking. They are thinking, oh my goodness, I must be really wicked to have caused that kind of reaction in my mom. And so, John, we talked last week about forgiveness being for you. That mama would need to be set free from those things so that spilled milk doesn't trigger a reaction. But spilled milk would just simply trigger a response. And this is what you're talking about. We've got to deal with this. Time doesn't heal wounds, John. It just covers them up until somebody touches the right button. And then out it comes. And we don't want to be victimizers of other people. We want to be vessels of life. I do have a question for you with your plant background and your PhD. Talk to us, if you would, about a root. 
my thought process listening to you was that there's nothing wrong per se with a root in terms of being a root, but the root is determined by two different things, if I'm tracking with you. One would be the kind of plant that it is, but two, wouldn't it also have something to do with the soil from which it derives? I'm thinking of like Matthew 13 and what kind of soil. Am I mixing two metaphors or do those two, can they go together? My story with the Greenbrier, my soils in Louisiana were extremely fertile. But you know, even when nothing else will grow, weeds will grow. <laughs> weeds will grow. They don't take much. And I guess that's an interesting thought. I never thought about that before. But you don't have to have a fertile soil, so to speak, speaking metaphorically mm. now, you don't have to have a fertile soil for a root mm. to take a hold and persist. It just needs time and just the smallest amount of water, the smallest amount of nutrients. And when the trigger's right, like here in Arizona, you look at my backyard, it's all gravel. So there's no weeds can possibly grow there until the right time of the year. And all of a sudden, I got more weeds than I could possibly count. So they don't need much to get started. They don't need much to persist. But when that first little shoot comes out, if I don't get on it, it'll do two things. It'll grow to be a huge weed that will be unsightly. And I want to get it out as quickly as possible because it ruins my backyard view. But also, every time that sprouts up, it makes more food and fuels the root. The root gets more food. So mm. for the way for the root to die is to clip off the shoot when it comes up. Starting to feel resentful, up, I've already forgiven them. Starting to feel resentful, shoot comes up, up, I've forgiven them. And so you don't give a chance for the shoot to grow. So you mm. don't feed the root eventually. Like it was in our last episode where you talked about some great offense that I forgave. And at this point, I don't even remember what that offense was hmm. so many years ago because the root has basically shriveled up and died. Hmm. So the fruit of the spirit would be the love, joy, peace, patience, all that. The weeds are the selfishness, the control, the vengeance, the rage, and all that kind of thing. It's two totally different plants. Yeah. Indeed. Hmm. All right. Let's jump back into Ephesians. I want to wrap us up here. We've talked about the warning in 426, not to let the sun go down on our anger, not to give place to the devil. And then Paul continues just a few verses later, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. This is verse 31, along with all malice. And I tell you, Frank, the first thought that comes to my mind of the example of how this occurs without any control is in Genesis 4 with Cain and Abel. Unresolved mm -hmm. anger, bang, leads to the first murder. So this can go in a car metaphor from zero to 60 in a relatively short time. So we wow. need to be careful. When those little sprouts come up, we have got to clip them off and remind ourselves that we have already forgiven them because the path will lead us eventually on the same path as Cain and Abel. We might not actually commit a physical murder and take a life, but there are lots of ways to murder people that don't involve taking a life, aren't there? Wow. 
you know, you just mentioned probably the premier one. And, you know, John, it's fascinating. It's found right away in the book of Genesis. So it's almost like, okay, you chose contrary to my way. Look at the fruit of your way. Bam. But then you just run through scripture. You've got the brothers of Joseph. You've got Isaac and Ishmael. And you've got David's son, Absalom. And my goodness, you just run through the scriptures. And even Asaph in Psalm 73, the worship leader in all of Israel. And he falls into bitterness and fails to fulfill what is really probably the supreme role in the entire nation, which is to praise who God is. And it's amazing. It started with those two, but my goodness, it just explodes onto the horizon and almost to the point of epidemic if we don't deal with it. That's right. Which is why Paul wraps up this section of scripture in Ephesians 4, 32. And this is a verse we teach to our young children, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Now, Frank, we're going to wrap up with this, but I want to close my comments with a little geeky grammar lesson here. Um, <laughs> hey, I'm a grammar geek. Forgiving one another, the word forgive is not the usual word, theomy, which is to release from a debt, to discharge, to set somebody free. It's charizomai, which means grace. Grace them, give them what they don't deserve, just as we got what we don't deserve. So the command is to grace them. The word is in the present tense, which means do it right now and continually do it. Keep on snipping off that shoot from that root. It's in the active voice, which means it's not something God does for us. It's something we've got to do ourselves. And finally, it's in the imperative mood. It's a command, which means if we want to be spiritually healthy, there are no exceptions to this. This is the path. So did I get all the Greek right? Wrap us up, my friend. Oh, John, yes, you did. When we first taught that book so many years ago, that was the truth that leapt off the page at me. And for the life of me, I couldn't understand it then. I still don't understand it today. Why the Bible translations translate it forgive when they should have added the idea of unconditionally forgive, grace forgive, give them what they don't deserve, just like you. Why don't we translate it the way it was written? It's powerful that way, John. We got what we didn't deserve. Who were we to not give the same way we received? Which is what Jesus said, you know, freely you received, freely give. Yeah. You are, after all, my ambassador to the world. Let them see in your life what my life is like. Because my goodness, John, when the world sees us forgiving, they'll run to the God that we have for them to be forgiven too. They won't have to be afraid of him anymore. They can run to him instead of away from him. This is a big, big deal, this series. Indeed. Well said, my friend. 
Well, friends, thank you for joining us on this episode of the podcast. We trust it has ministered to you. I know Frank and I have our eyes open constantly as we talk through these of the Spirit brings revelation sometimes right in the middle of our conversation. So we trust that he has done the same to you. If you'd like to support this podcast, uh, go to our website, OurResoluteHope.com. Click the donate button at the top of the page. And while you're there, as they used to say on the Beverly Hillbillies, sit down and set a spell. Take your shoes off. <laughs> You'll find lots of resources there, all designed to point you to your very life of Christ in you. Of course, check out all of our social media platforms. You'll find us on Facebook, on Instagram, and check out our YouTube channel. Make sure you subscribe, ring the bell, so you don't miss any new content. And of course, as always, we close with the very same reminder from Hebrews chapter 6. The writer says, we have this hope as an anchor for our souls. Peter calls it a living hope in his first epistle. Frank and I call it a resolute hope. You know, and resolute means steadfast, immovable, bedrock, stable, never shifting. And that defines our Jesus. So today and always, choose hope and choose Jesus. Thanks for listening. We trust that you've seen Jesus today. And you know that no matter what you're facing, he offers you himself, his own life. He wants to live his life with you, in you, and through you as you trust him and walk by faith in this troubled world. You've been listening to Our Resolute Hope Podcast. For more information, find us online at OurResoluteHope.com and check out our social media channels under the name Our Resolute Hope.